In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. For about three and a half years now, I have worked for a former haberdasher. Many of you know that before going to seminary, uh, Dean Limehouse worked in his family's clothing business. And though he has been out of that business uh, now for many years, he has proven many times that you can take the man out of the haberdashery, uh, but you cannot take the haberdashery out of the man. And while over the years I have uh, received many helpful theological and pastoral critiques and insights, I have received almost as many uh, about my wardrobe. And the cuff of your jacket should be uh, come right here. Uh, should be this long. You should consider this kind of shoe. Calf's uh, socks should come over the calf, and so on. And uh, it is important. He says, because you are what you wear, and if you don't believe that, just read your Bible. I'm pretty sure, uh, Frank, that you weren't saying that our salvation depends on where we shop, uh, but he was referring to passages like the one we have uh, this morning from Isaiah, where Isaiah beams, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. What does Isaiah mean that he has been clothed with salvation and righteousness? And why is it such good news? Well, in understanding this passage, uh, it may be helpful for you to know that Isaiah is speaking into the context of a depressed people. They had just returned from 70-year exile in Babylon. Very high expectations for uh, a return to the glory days. But in their efforts to rebuild Jerusalem and their temple, that is, in their effort to rebuild both their identity as a people and their very faith in God. Nothing seemed to go right. They met extraordinary opposition. They had very long delays. They were forced to compromise. They fell far short of their original hopes for their own glory, status, and achievement. I know the feeling, and I know that you do too. We all experience frustration and discouragement at some point, and and really, virtually every aspect of our lives. We experience it in our marriages, uh, in our jobs, or in our lack of a marriage, or our lack of a job. We experience it with our kids, or our inability to have kids, with our grown kids, or our grandkids. We experience discouragement and frustration in our friendships and our finances and our health and on and on. And I'm certainly not saying that life is always terrible all the time, but what I am saying is that we have experienced discouragement. And we sometimes have experienced discouragement profoundly. And we understand that life throws curveballs fastballs. And sometimes life throws spitballs. And life 
doesn't always turn out. We understand that because we have lived it. And the reason that we get discouraged is because there's at least a part of us that needs those things in order to be happy or secure or content. There are our self-salvation projects. There are expectations of our own glory or success. We need the deal to go through. We need the relationship to be smooth. We need our kids to be successful. When things go like we expect, people applaud. We feel content. But when things don't go like they expect, we often react with anger or apathy or anxiety or depression or a need to control and on and on. Maybe you're like me. When I experience that loss of expectation, I I feel like it's, it's what everyone notices about me first when I walk in the room. Well, the people of God had experienced a collective and colossal loss of expectation upon their return from exile. Their city wall was patched together with scraps. Their new temple looked like a country shack compared to David's temple. There was discouragement and despair and doubt because of their loss of expectation and their inability to create the life that they had hoped for. But it is into this collective depression that Isaiah speaks his word of hope and joy. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. One of the bits of advice that my haberdasher boss has given me is that nothing should stand out too loudly when you're in a business situation. Someone, or actually if, if several people come up to you and say, uh, oh, that is, that is such a nice jacket. It's the wrong jacket. You want them to leave thinking, you know, there's just something about him, but uh, I can't put my finger on it. Well, that may be true, uh, but in Isaiah's image, the garland is the very thing that identifies the bridegroom as the bridegroom. The jewels identify the bride as the bride. It's the very first thing you notice about them, the very thing that defines who they are. I mean, think of how a modern bride walks down this aisle in her stunning white dress or the groom's white tie and how those things set them apart. It tells everyone who they are and invites them to celebrate with them. Isaiah is saying that in the same way God has placed upon us the mantle of salvation and the robe of His own righteousness upon His people that that we may stand out and be identified not because of who we are, not because of what we've accomplished or not to be identified by what we've not accomplished, but we are identified by who He is and what He has done. See, Isaiah is rejoicing because salvation is achieved not by strong city walls or by enormous temples or by successful lives. The salvation is given as a gift 
of God's grace, adorning His people with His own righteousness, His very own character, that all may see who they are and whose they are and celebrate together because you really are what you wear. This is Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale, The Emperor's New Clothes, but in reverse. Whereas the, the foolish emperor thought that he was wearing clothes fit only for a king, but was in fact naked. We who are by rights naked are given clothes of salvation and righteousness fit only for the king of kings. Can you imagine what it must have been like for these bedraggled, weary, discouraged, and dirty Hebrew people to pull out Isaiah's scroll and open it up and hear the word of the Lord that regardless of what they have achieved or how life has turned out, that God identified them as both clean and beautiful by His own character. And that in one fell swoop, He had taken care of the idolatry of their own expectations by granting them salvation in Him. Maybe we can imagine that. But how much more spectacular is it for us because we know where the robe of righteousness comes from. We know that the baby in the manger with the virgin mother was in fact God Himself come for us. And He would live the life that we should have lived. And on the cross, He would take off that robe of righteousness. And He would hand it to us and take in exchange upon himself the straitjacket of our sin and our despair and our depression and our self-centeredness and our have to have it my wayness. The robe of his righteousness. Here you go. Put it on. It's free. It's not cheap, but it's free. There's a big difference. It's yours. From my earliest days as a Christian, I always heard that we were clothed in Christ's righteousness. I have to tell you, I didn't really like that. I saw it as temporary. A stopgap. Measure. I, I didn't want to wear Christ's righteousness because I didn't want to need it. I knew what it said about the outside, but I also knew what it said about the inside, what was beneath it. I wanted to be righteous. And I, and I really believe that, that God wanted that for me too, or even expected my righteousness. I, I wanted to hear from Him, well done, good and faithful servant. In fact, what I really wanted to hear was better done than the next guy. I thought that fundamentally my faith was about me and what I should be doing rather than about God and what He has already done on my behalf in Christ. And so every time I messed up in that paradigm where it was all about me, every time I messed up, I could just hear Jesus. Oddly enough, His voice sounded a lot like mine, but I could just hear Jesus saying, oh, Joe, again, we have been over this. We've been over this a hundred times. I'm running a little short on grace this month, and there's a lot of people who need it. And if you keep coming back to me, I didn't want to keep coming back. 
And eventually that unmet expectation of my own personal righteousness led to discouragement and doubt and even despair. Somewhere along the way, maybe from my haberdasher boss, I learned that his robe of righteousness wasn't some cheap, hand-me-down, terrycloth bathrobe to use until I could get my own. It was the royal family robe. Rich, heavy, made with the finest silks and furs. It is this robe that identifies us and sets us apart as His. When someone comes and says, oh, what, what an attractive robe. You can take none of the credit. Give Him all the glory. Because it's only those who are wearing this robe that will ever hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because it is the robe of the one who has done it all, the good and the faithful suffering servant, Jesus Christ. And so here you go. Here it is for you, it's free. It's the robe of His righteousness for you to put on to be marked as Christ's own forever. Because you really are what you wear. Then thanks be to God. Amen.